alive in Calgary in 1967, you would have seen this building on the screen being constructed. And if you looked at it, you would have probably been fascinated and confused at the same time. What on earth are they building? You see a, uh, a cement structure going up. You see some steel beams going around it. And you could imagine that this building was not built by one person. Instead, there was a team of construction workers coming together, and each worker was responsible for their own part in the process of building it. Um, they couldn't make up their own minds about what to do. They had to have a master plan that they were building along the lines of. There was an architect with an idea. Um, you might have guessed that this is a picture of the Calgary Tower going up behind me here. And can you imagine what it would have been like to have been one of those construction workers who had a part in building the Calgary Tower, been a part of how this thing had been made? Well, Jesus is building his church, and we are the workers. We have a picture of what this church will look like in the Bible. It'll be the spotless, pure bride of Christ. It'll be a people who are righteous and transformed by the power of God. And we get to look forward because one day we're going to get to live out that full reality. It'll be amazing. We can look forward to that. Today we're not yet living in that full reality. There's still much work to be done. Jesus Christ, our King and our architect, has his plan. We are his workers. We don't yet enjoy the church as it will someday be, but we strive for unity as Christ's workers so that his good perfect and wonderful plan can be employed through us as we live our lives faithfully. So today we are talking about unity for the cause of Christ. What is our responsibility for unity as church attenders, as people who are here, members of the church, so that Jesus can do whatever he wants, specifically with Hawkwood Baptist Church? And we're going to be in the book of Philippians. So the book of Philippians is a letter that was written by Paul to a church in Philippians, or in Philippi. And in this letter, Paul gives some very practical instructions on this topic of unity. The church in Philippi was the first place in Europe that heard about Jesus Christ. You can read about this from um, your Bibles in Acts chapter 16. I'll remind you of what goes on in Acts 16. We meet a lady named Lydia. We hear how Paul and Silas are imprisoned for delivering a slave girl from demon possession. And while they're in prison, they're singing songs, they're encouraging other prisoners, when around midnight an earthquake comes and strikes the prison, and basically as a result of the earthquake, all the prisoners could have ran away free. The jailer is scared for his life. He thinks that it's going to be his life in exchange for theirs, and he comes running into the jail. He's about to kill himself, and they yell out, don't kill yourself, we're all here. And that night, the jailer and his whole family are saved. They find out about Jesus Christ. You can imagine that that family is a part of the church that this letter in Philippians um, is written to. So this letter, in many ways, is a, a thank you letter because the church in Philippi was supplying many of Paul's needs while he was in prison. Yes, he was a prisoner, likely in an Ephesian prison, when this letter was written. And he writes from a heart of joy, a heart of thankfulness, and we see that joy talked about here in the chapter that we're going to read, Philippians chapter 2. Let's read verses 1 and 2. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, 
Fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, and focusing on one goal. Let's look closer at verse 1 here. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy. You probably noticed, if, 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 if. There's four ifs to start it off here. And there's actually two different ways to think about these ifs. What's going on here? The first way you could think about it is that these ifs are open phrases or questions. If this is true, then what happens? And I'll give them to you thinking that way. Um, It's paraphrased by a fellow named J.B. Lightfoot. He says, if then your experiences in Christ appeal to you with any force, if love exerts any persuasive power on you, if your fellowship in the Spirit is a living reality, if you have any affectionate yearnings of heart, any tender feelings of compassion, listen and obey. The second way of thinking through these ifs is that they are foregone conclusions. Paul knows that they're going to say yes to these answers. So he already knows that. And the church does find encouragement in Christ. Christians are consoled greatly by the love of God. We do have a unity and encouraging friendship with the Holy Spirit. We are absolutely the glad and thankful recipients of the affection and mercy of our amazing God. The second way of interpreting this is, in fact, the correct interpretation. Uh, The if is translated from a first-class Greek condition, which means that it speaks of certainties. Paul knows this is the truth. And so maybe the most helpful way that you can read this in your Bible when you're reading it on your own is to replace the word if with the word since. Since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is consolation of love, since there is fellowship with the Spirit, and since there is affection and mercy. And since that's the case, then Paul says, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, and focusing on one goal. So remember, the letter to this church in Philippi is one where joy is a constant theme, uh, which is incredible when you consider that Paul wrote this letter to the Philippian church while he himself is a prisoner, and yet he's got a joyful disposition. Um, he's joyful that this church is growing in Christ. That's good news to him. He, he's encouraged by it. And I can imagine Paul sitting there in prison writing this letter, and he's thinking about the people who make up the church. He's thinking about his friends back in Philippi, and he's got a constant smile on his face, just remembering um, and thinking about the amazing things that God has done in their lives, the transformations that he's seen, and, and the stories that are coming back to him about this church in Philippi. So he's encouraged, he's got joy, and he wants to encourage them. But he's saying, if all these things are true, then make my joy complete. That means there's a little bit more that they need to learn about. And in verse 2, he gives four ways that he, they can make his joy complete. Uh, the list is this way. Thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, and focusing on one goal. So we're going to actually go through these one by one, do our best to practically apply them to our lives, considering what is each one of our own responsibility when it comes to unity for the church. The first one he lists there is thinking the same way. So we're talking here about unity, but not uniformity. So we're not saying that each person can't have their own individual way to bring thoughts forward. Um, Each person has strengths that God has made them with. That's great. We want you to thrive in those strengths. 
Each person who is a Christian has been given spiritual gifts by Jesus through the Holy Spirit that are supposed to be used to encourage and build up the church and for the ministry of the church. So there's a lot of uniqueness, a unique way that individuals ought to express themselves. Um, if not, we'd all be robots and that'd be uniformity. But we want unity. And the unity comes from, in this case, thinking the same way. What does this mean? Well, a good supporting verse to help us understand is found in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. Another letter by Paul. Now I urge you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and under the same conviction. Unity comes from something deep inside of us that is bigger than any one individual person. There is an understanding in our hearts. There's a conviction in our hearts. And this sort of same thinking is the result of God the Holy Spirit being our teacher and our guide. You know, if it weren't for God's saving power in our lives, we would never have this unity from thinking. We aren't born with the saving knowledge of God's truth. Instead, when we repent of our own ways of thinking, when we repent of our own ways of doing, and instead submit ourselves to God's way of thinking and being, he gives us new hearts and new minds and calls us his children. We find some unity there because it's all from the same God. So we want as a church to have the same understandings and convictions. This is a good thing. Uh, From that place of unity, then we can talk about how can we best obey God as his church. But where does that understanding and those convictions come from? We know it comes from God, but how do we all get on the same page? How can we make sure that we're all searching after God's ordained truths and not our own misguided opinions? Well, the, the Bible is the essential part of thinking the same way. When the Bible is our highest standard of truth, it gives us all a common understanding and foundation to think from. There are three key ways that each one of us can take responsibility for unity in regards to Bible study. So you might want to make note of these ones. Something that each one of us can do is commit to faithfully read your Bible. You can know your Bible by reading your Bible. Now, if you live with a family, I highly encourage you reading the Bible together. Read a passage together, talk about what you've read, pray about what you read, have a conversation. That's a great thing to do. A second thing that we can all take responsibility for would be to read your Bible with a small group of other believers. Because what will happen is as you read your Bible with others, you'll see that they offer perspectives that you don't have. And they will have understandings that you don't yet have. And so you can together encourage one another in a way that you could not be encouraged on your own. A third thing that you can do is attend Sunday services and receive Bible preaching. Right now, we're all studying the Bible together. We're all gaining a common understanding and hopefully a common conviction together. So by being together for this, we will find a unity in thought as well. I know it's probably not new information here, these three things I've just mentioned. But it is essential that we all take the responsibility seriously if we want to have this kind of unity that Paul is teaching us about in Philippians chapter 2. The second thing that he brings up is that we are to be having the same love. So race car drivers all have the same love for driving. Fan clubs all have the same love for their celebrities and are sometimes grouped together by common nicknames. You've got your Beliebers. You've got your Swifties. 
Is there a certain affinity that pulls a church together, though? Actually, it's something much stronger than affinity that brings unity to God's church. It's not just that we all love God. It is that God's love is in all of us. In John 13, 34, we can read the words of Jesus Christ. He says, I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. And then in Colossians 3, verse 14, we read, Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. One of the metaphors for church in the Bible is the family of God. You don't get to choose your family based on common interests and affinity. Imagine if you did. You say, oh, look at that person. Uh, they'd make a really good brother. Uh, he seems to really like my style of music. We should adopt that person. Or maybe we should adopt her. She seems to like the same style of food that we like. That's, that is not how families are made. No, families are put together by God. The church is put together by God. And it is a common bond of love that we share. It's not based on us all liking the same things or looking the same way. Our unity is based on a love for God that we all share and a love for each other that is put into our hearts by God. Galatians 5.13 tells us, For you were called to be free, brothers. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And I could substitute for the word flesh maybe as an opportunity for pride or for selfishness. Instead, Serve one another through love. This is the call to the church, to serve one another through love. So if you are out shopping, you might hear a salesperson say, how can I serve you? That's what they might tell you at the mall today or tomorrow. But when we are a family together, a church with the very love of God in our hearts, we say, how can we serve one another through love? We're looking for opportunities to show God's love to others by serving them. And it's a bit of a paradox, isn't it? That by serving others, by giving of yourselves, you would know Christ's love more. But it is true. You experience the love of God as you live out that love towards others in service. So look for ways and opportunities to serve others. Now that might be as a volunteer in one of our church ministries. We love it when people volunteer. It's great to see people finding something that they're good at and applying those strengths to the church and the church is built up, that's wonderful. That might be the way that you serve one another in love. It can also mean a whole range of practical ways to encourage and help others. I came up with a quick list of 10 things just to get your imagination going. I have no doubt that you will have better ideas than me, so please let your minds go and, and think of some ways to serve one another in love. But to get the ball rolling, here are some ideas. An encouragement note. Uh, give a guest a tour of our church and then offer to sit with them. Offer to help clean someone's home who needs that help. Invite people over for a meal. Or maybe you could make a meal for someone who can't get out. Visit people who are in the hospital. Offer babysitting to young couples. Offer friendship to those who are older than you. Help carry someone's burden. Do you see that someone's going through something difficult? You put your arm around their shoulder and say, how can I help? How can I encourage you? How can I pray for you? Notice needs around you. Do what you can to help, to show compassion. Be a connector. Introduce people. Make them feel welcome. One of our youth leaders last year, Ryan, he's at Miller College of the Bible now, but 
he was so good at, he'd meet a youth, and he'd say, oh, you like this thing? So does that person. He'd connect them together all the time. You might meet somebody and realize that you know somebody else who they make a great friendship. So be a connector. That's a good way to serve in love. Those are my ideas. Like I said, I think you probably have more and better ideas and ones that are suited to you. Let's put it to action. The same love is something that we do, not just something that we feel. Love is an action. The practical way for you to show your love to God is to serve one another in love, and it's for his glory. And in the end, that'll be for our good as well. So the third thing that Paul brings up here is sharing the same feelings. If you're like me, and then you're asking the question, what on earth does it mean to share the same feelings? You know, there was a football game last night that I didn't go to, but it was the Calgary Stampeders versus, I think, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And you and I could have gone to that game together, had all the same experiences, eaten the same food, watched all the same things happen, and had very different feelings the whole way through. So just showing up together in the same place doesn't mean that we're going to have the same feelings automatically. So what is Paul talking about when he says you should be sharing the same feelings? I want to try to understand this better. And especially because he's listing that if we share the same feelings, it'll be an ingredient to church unity. And I want that unity, so I really want to understand what he's talking about. So I looked at how this might be translated into English and other English translations of the Bible. In the Holman Christian Standard Bible, it says same feelings. In the English Standard Version, the New King James Version, the New Revised Standard Version, they all say have full accord. The New International Version says one spirit. Is it becoming clearer to you? It was not yet becoming clearer to me. So I did some more research here. Uh, I went to the Greek word for this, and I have it on the screen there. It is sum sukos. And the sense of this word is that we are all one-souled. Now, this is not sold in the sense that it was for sale, now it has been sold. Instead, it's in the eternal soul that God places in each one of us. And unity comes as these souls are joined, as we are one-souled. So I looked up what this means in the Bible sense lexicon, and it says one-souled, being united in the same character, affections, and especially mindset as one another. So that's a little bit more helpful for me. And I thought about those words, the word character. What does it mean to be united in character? Well, character is our mental and ethical traits. And I think about what would grow in a person whose life had, had Christ's character. And I think of the fruit of the Spirit. There's a love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, and self-control. That's going to show up in our character. Um, affections. You know, when you think of the word affections, think, think about this. What affects us? What affects our hearts? What pulls at our heartstrings? We are a church that cares for the brokenhearted, that lifts up those who are downtrodden. We are a church that seeks to save the lost because we care about lost people. We want for families to be united in Christ with strong relationships that wants for children to grow in God's love. We are one souled in affection. And at least we are praying that God would make us this way more and more. We also want to be one souled in our mindset. And the Bible teaches us that we all ought to aim to have the mind of Christ, who humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
uh, the mind of Christ, and it was his mission to seek and to save the lost. Uh, it was Christ who says that if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, we must become servants of all. We must learn to serve one another in love. So we want to have, share the same feelings in this way. The final instruction for unity in Philippians 2 verse 2 is that we are all focusing on one goal. What is that one goal? That we would live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that as we live those lives, we would be used by God to proclaim that gospel in word and deed to a world that needs his truth and his hope. Unity can only be found in Christ through a common goal to be Christ-like. Christian unity is for Christ's glory. And any other reason for unity in church really doesn't make any difference. The reason we come together is for God's glory. After teaching on those things, Paul then gives some warnings. In verses 3 and 4, he says, Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So unity comes as we focus on a single goal. Where does disunity come from? Competing goals. Factions. Disunity comes from rivalries, from selfishness. Paul's advice is practical. You can beat those by looking out for the interests of others. I'll say the way that we've said it before today already by serving one another in love. And Jesus has this amazing prayer for unity in John 17 that I want to read out as well. And he prayed to God the Father, and this prayer, he specifically says, is for all who will believe in me. And so since if you believe in Jesus, then he has prayed this prayer for you. And it's an amazing prayer that extends to the church today. Let me read it out. This is how Jesus prays for the church. He says, May they all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be one in us, so the world may believe you sent me. We see that unity is for the cause of Christ. It's so that the world would know that Jesus is the Son of God. He is our Savior King. Unity is our responsibility, yet it is the manifest work of God on display when a church is truly living in unity. And what I mean by that is each one of us is responsible. Each one of us is responsible to do these things that we're taught about in the Bible. We, we can't let someone else do it for us. We must do it ourselves. Yet at the same time, none of us can make unity happen. It's going to be a miracle of God that we can have this sort of unity that's being talked about here. So, for our parts, we want to be faithful to God. And when we fall, well, we want to repent and ask for God's help. And we want to carry those alongside of us who we see falling as well. Because we know that even as we take responsibility, God himself will be the one blessing our actions and blessing our motivations here to to serve one another in love. So today's sermon is not to make us a smarter church, a more intelligent church, but it's to help each one of us know what we are responsible for as the people of Hawkwood Baptist Church. So because of that, I want to add an accountability tool to this sermon. I'm asking that in your small group this week, you would discuss these questions and that you would hold one another accountable to these foundations for unity. And that in so doing, you would pray for 
and encourage one another. If you don't have a small group, maybe you do have some other people you can have these conversations with. Or if you're part of a family, have these conversations as a family together and talk about, is our family doing what it takes to be responsible to God for our part of unity in his church? Because unity is for the cause of Christ, we need God's help and we need his help to serve one another in love. So here's the questions that I'm asking you to use this week. And you'll also find this on the back of your bulletin as well. Number one, what is the Holy Spirit teaching you as you read his Bible? So you might want to write this down through the week and take a little journal record. What's God showing me? What am I learning as I read his word? The second thing that I'm asking you to answer a question for is, what are you doing to serve one another in love? Are there steps that you're taking? It's one thing to pay attention to the needs, of, to the needs around us. It's quite another to actually show compassion and do something about those needs. What are you doing to serve one another in love? Third, what needs to change in your character, affections, or mindset for the sake of church unity? Some self-evaluation there. And the fourth question is, are there areas in your life of pride, conceit, or rivalry that are hurting our unity? Those are things we confess to one another, and then we carry each other's burdens. We pray for one another. We offer forgiveness in Jesus' name, and we trust God to do a work in our lives. So I, I know these are actually pretty personal questions. Uh, they would require trust and love to work through. And I think God would intend that his church would have that kind of trust and love in it. I know that the questions might look pretty intimidating, and to, that to be honest with these questions will require vulnerability. But that's, that won't stop me from asking for others for accountability in my own life. Let's not let that stop anybody. I trust that God can use the conversations and the prayer times that come out of this as a way to make our church unified for the cause of Christ. So the closing song that we're about to sing today is called God So Loved. And really the chorus of this song is just singing through John 3.16. It's the cause of Christ. Uh, Jesus came to this world not so that people would perish, not so that people would be condemned, but they could, through Jesus Christ, accept him and find eternal life. That's the cause that we need to be united for. It's not for any particular person. It's for the cause of Jesus Christ.